Welcome back, listeners. I'm your host, Frank Hans, for the Utah Shakespeare Festival's Play On podcast. Today we sit down with Betsy McGavaro and Kelly Rogers from this season's production of Charlie's Aunt. Betsy is playing Kitty Verdon in Charlie's Aunt and Costanza in Amadeus. This is Betsy's fifth season at the festival. Some favorite roles include Molly in Peter and the Starcatcher, Jacquinetta in Love's Labor's Lost, Hermia in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and Poppy in Noises Off. She's performed with many other theater companies, including Great Lakes Theater, Idaho Shakespeare Festival, Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival, Philadelphia Shakespeare, Lake Tahoe Shakespeare, and many more. Kelly is playing Amy Spedigue in Charlie's Aunt and Cordelia in King Lear. This is her first season with the festival. Other theaters that Kelly has performed with include Idaho Shakespeare Festival, Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey, Ars Nova Theater, Here Art Center, Abrams Art Center, Theater for the New City, and many more. Well, good morning to both of you. Thanks for joining us here today. Good morning. Thanks um, for having us. I want to just start by asking you how you each got into theater. <laughs> You know, start with the small questions and work <laughs> yeah. work outward from there. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. This is Betsy. I was an athlete most of my life, and um, I was in high school, and I was, you know, thinking about maybe playing soccer in college, and I just really didn't want to make that kind of commitment to a sports team and not have time to do stuff outside of sports, and so... I randomly just said to my mom, I want to try theater. And she was so supportive. At like 16, I was just like, I want to do some theater. And I couldn't do theater at my school because I played sports. And unfortunately, they didn't allow us to do both activities, which I think is really wrong. Weird. So I'm just going to say that. Because yeah. I think kids should be allowed to do whatever they want. But um, so anyway, so I started doing community theater, which actually really worked out in my favor because I was working with adults immediately. And, um, and then I was hooked. What was your first play? Um, my first, I'd say, real role, besides, like, the second grade play, was, um, a play called And Then They Came For Me. Um, it's about a Holocaust survivor who was actually, by marriage, related to Anne Frank. It was wonderful. Yeah, it's a great play, Very too. moving. Yeah. yeah. I was very lucky to do yeah. Um, this is Kelly. I, I started very early, um... I think I was performing, I was like dancing with my ribbon dancer in the front yard, you know, at four years old. I think that's where it really started, you know, <laughs> but um, I, I was able to take drama class from third grade on, and I was just so blessed to have these two people in my life from a very young age, Steve Paget and Kathy Bergen, and they taught elementary school, middle school, and high school drama, as well as a summer children's theater program. They were just wow. slaves to the theater, and it was, they made such a huge impact on me from age nine. And I've told this story a couple times, but I, I, I knew I was hooked when I played Imogene Herdman in the best Christmas pageant ever, <laughs> and got to do my first stage combat of fake punching a boy, and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Punching a boy without getting in trouble for it. And, um, you know, so I took classes off and on throughout elementary school, middle school, started doing the children's theater program, and, you know, didn't really 
think of it as a job, but just this thing that I always do all the time. And um, didn't really consider doing it as a career until Kathy Bergen, the same teacher, in my senior year of high school, as I was just thinking, I have no idea what I want to do. She just looked at me and said, well, act. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, okay. <laughs> and was it, that you, was it that you hadn't thought of theater as a career before that, or was it um, just... Both my parents are engineers, and I think that and they raised me to be a little bit more practical than I turned out to be, I guess, but um, I didn't really think it was a possibility as far as like that I just wouldn't be allowed by my parents to pursue this kind of career. I had to present... A power, like a presentation to my father <laughs> of, you know, that I was serious about doing this for college before. I remember that, you know. You're going to give make a list of all the pros and the cons of entering into a career in the theater. And, um, and I'll let you know what I think afterwards. Wow. And how did that go? Well, I know it was at a Chinese restaurant. And I didn't eat a lot of my chicken that I had. That's about all I remember was that I couldn't eat the, the food. And But, I mean, he let me do it. He let me do it, so it went well. Wow, that's you a know, great story. I will say, though, like I feel like this career choice is constantly a decision that you're making, though. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, when you're in the arts, it's, it's always like, whoa, am I going to take this next job? Am I going to keep pursuing... A life in the theater because it's not like you just get the job and get it for and keep it for 50 years with a pension you know you're constantly pursuing it on your own and and every day it's a new decision to stay in it mm-hmm. I mean there's a passion that drives us and there's a storyteller inside of us that makes us want to keep doing it but it's not it's always a decision that we have to you know choose for ourselves at least once a day yeah how did you end up here at the festival then? You have very different stories getting into theater. Yeah. I imagine your stories are different. Well, I went to Temple University too. in Philadelphia, which actually Tony and Mendel went there too. <laughs> um, so I'm probably going to be like him. Um, no, I went there and uh, I had heard of Utah Shakes when I was in Philadelphia. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a really cool place. But then I went to grad school right after undergrad. And, you know, Phil Thompson, our voice and text coach here at the festival, has, has is um, was the head of acting at Irvine at that time, and so I had a connection. And then USF came out to audition us, and that was when Jim Sullivan and Kathleen Common were running the festival. So I met them and in Bur- or met Kathleen in Burbank, and now I'm here, and I've been here for five seasons. Wow. Yeah. And so did you? Did you? Were you hired when you were still in grad school? Yeah, then? I was in my second year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. It was awesome. I was. And I, I just realized this last night, too, when I, was, I went to see Shrew. And so much of my education in theater has been at Utah Shakes. Um, and so much of what I've learned as an artist has happened at that Adams Theater. And watching Brian and Melinda last night, I was like, these were my teachers. These are masters. And I have picked up so much from watching them over the years that, I, you know, I don't, I appreciate all that I learned at Irvine and at Temple, but it's an academic setting. This was like immersion, and I am so grateful for everything that I've learned here. That's very neat, yeah. yeah so I feel you there. I definitely feel you there. This is my first year here, and I feel like I've learned more here in however many, what, two and a half months here than I learned in all of college. 
I've, I have a BFA from SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, and my connection here is that Sharon Ott, who directed Lear this year and also directed Merchant of Venice with Tony Amendola in 2010, um, is the head of acting there. And so David and Brian came to audition a few times in college. And it's interesting, you know, I got seen by them in school and it didn't work out. And then I moved to New York and kept trying to be seen by them for many, many years, like three years, and just couldn't even get an audition with them. <laughs> And I was like, they don't want me, they don't want me. <laughs> um, but I know that's not the case. It's, but So I just got an email from Sharon saying that she was doing Lear this year and that she thought I would be a perfect Regan. <laughs> and, and look how that worked out. David and Brian, I guess, decided that they wanted to see something else. But I'm so happy because Regan, I think, is a... Well, that's kind of veering off on the question. But yeah, so then I auditioned in New York for them and got a call a few months later. So yeah, that's how I met. Wow. Well, it's great to have you both here. Yeah. And I'd love to talk a little bit about Charlie's aunt today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> um, tell us first about your characters in this play. <laughs> Set us up a little bit for the uninitiated. Well, Who are Bianca. you? They're Bianas. Um, they share a bedroom in the prison that is Stephen Spedigue's house. <laughs> <laughs> They're both looking for love and a way out. <laughs> yeah. Um, before they go to Scotland. Yeah. I imagine like where we're going in Scotland is just a cabin in the middle of literally yeah. nowhere. <laughs> Sheep. Where Spedigue like tries to crags. Tries okay. to teach so, so back us up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with well, the names of your you characters. Know, all actors do backstories. <laughs> right. we, ours is extensive. Um, okay, I I'm I'm playing Amy. No, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> we always. <laughs> okay, <It's> impossible. <laughs> Kelly's playing Amy, <laughs> and Betsy is playing Kitty. <laughs> Kitty Verden. Yes, we often confuse ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I see why you went for the backstory for yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. Who are we? <laughs> um, so they're two young women who are in love with these fellows who you meet at the beginning of the play. And, and Amy is in love with? Charlie. And Kitty's in love with Jack. And, you know, we've been at a couple dances together. We've probably been writing some letters back and forth. But, um, you know, we were probably just hanging out, and all of a sudden we get this hanging out, getting ready to go to Scotland, mm -hmm. probably crying about it, you yeah. know. And then we got a letter from Charlie and Jack inviting us over to lunch, and then mayhem ensues. Um, but our characters are very different, actually, oh, yeah. although we confuse ourselves um, on stage and the way that they're written and the way that David has directed us is, um, you know, Kitty's a bit more grounded of a person <laughs> and she's, um, you know, she really matches well with Jack because yeah. she's this romantic, um, idealistic kind of person and uh, that's why they're really suited for each other and this afternoon they meet you know they finally get some alone time together and they realize how much they complete each other's sentences and mm -hmm. how right they are for each other and how much they inspire each other and they feel like they are going to be a good match 
So the opening scene of the play, we see Jack trying to write her this letter, mm-hmm. and and he's he's already head over heels. Yeah. Do you think she's there at that at the beginning of the play as well, or do um, you think she discovers that? I, I think that she is, but I think she's also finding through the course of this play, she's somebody who has her, her life very strictly controlled by Mr. Spedigue, Amy's uncle, and. Um, you know, her parents are no longer living and there's this whole plot with the will and, you know, she's just sort of tied to um, the future that her parents have sort of mapped out for her. Mm-hmm. And I think she's hesitant to commit to another man in her life controlling her. And throughout the course of this afternoon, she finds out that Jack isn't that type of man at all. And that's why she agrees to be with him. Hmm. And I think... Amy completes completes Kitty in a very nice way because Amy is not at all grounded. I think that Amy is just an emotional creature Mm -hmm. and she doesn't have this will, this money thing to worry about. I think for Amy, it's just the struggle of just communicating with people and... um, she's madly in love and you know I I actually struggle a lot with this character in the very beginning because on paper I looked at her and I was just wondering what what can I do because I found myself judging her from a very early point I'm like okay she's just repeating everything Kitty says she's kind of stupid she's got these you know what is this and that's never a good way to approach a character that you need to meet and relate to and live with for a few months many months you know and so i kind of had to do some soul searching of you know what can i bring to amy to give her like truth and validity and find something in me that is amy spedigue and so i think what it is is just that Amy wears all of her emotions on her sleeves and what's beautiful about her is that she doesn't really have the cunning that Kitty has to, you know, intellectually connect with people, but I think she's just brutally honest with her feelings at all times. And, you know, we don't see what the proposal scene is like between Charlie and Amy, but I have a feeling it's just a lot of, like, like heavy breathing and like screaming at each other from across the chapel or something. I, um, so yeah, I've just, I've enjoying releasing into the extreme energy and wonder in the world that Amy Spedeke has completely different from Kitty. Although on paper, you might not at first glance notice how different they are. Yeah, I so. think that's to the credit of, you know, David oh, for uh, sure. supporting our decisions as actors and helping us find differences between them. Yeah, and it it really sounds like you've mapped out um, some ways in which they're opposites of one another yeah. too, yeah. but yet they're very good friends. Yeah. How do you what's what's that story? What what's the backstory on that? On them. On their friendship. Have you did you talk about that? talk too much about the backstory actually but I think how we in over the course of rehearsal found that we could play off each other yes um you know moments where we do the exact same thing at the same time you know moving or sitting but 
and then moments where we react very, very differently mm-hmm. to the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of... But that's, I, yeah, I, I would say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, I, I think in the play and throughout a rehearsal process, instead of always looking to Jack for, you know, to share a moment on stage, I usually look at Amy when something happens. Mm-hmm. You know, she yeah. is my partner in this play. We end up you know, moving into a new partnership as we mature throughout the afternoon. But mm-hmm. it's, it's she is the person that I depend on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really only have each other. And we say that, you know, we both are in agreement about Spedigu being a little oppressive. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. But when we when we when we were joking earlier about earlier about our backstory, you know, we, you know, when we're backstage before we go, I mean, we make up like stupid yeah. Things like that, yeah. like what our room is like at home, yeah. and like what you know, what our day was like before we got here. Mm-hmm. You know, we we just do that to just color everything. In you know. I think that the most important thing that we share, and a lot of the characters in this play share, is optimism. Mm-hmm. And that I think it's a, that's a word that David brought up a lot in rehearsal. That you know, these characters just have so much hope. We do not live a good life. No. If you've seen Act Three, you know there's shields and swords on the walls, and like everything's uncomfortable. And you know the character. I mean, I think Pribble has created a beautiful character mm-hmm. in Steven Spedigu, but the reality of that, if this weren't a farce, if this were a drama, it could be really bad. It could be a doll's house, really. It right. could be. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it could. And well, and there's all this death behind these characters. Yeah, back, a lot like, of sadness. Neither prior of us stories. Have our parents, and, yeah. Neither of us have mothers around. We don't have this mother figure, which I think is why we have so much optimism in the potential relationship with Charlie's aunt. Yes. Because that is another huge task in this play. Mm -hmm. We have to believe so hard in the woman that we see in Charlie's aunt and Donna Lucia. And that's what creates, you know, hilarity for the audience because we believe in this thing that's obviously this sweaty dude with his brown hair poking out of his gray wig and we believe it that's That's interesting but that it's that it comes from this like really want or desire to see someone there well and she's a single woman who's extremely successful Mm -hmm. and in our world that doesn't exist for us and so she's pretty famous for us to meet her and um you know we are also at Oxford, we're not. We are in school right. as well, right. so we're getting this education, and yet we're totally held back by our parents mm-hmm. and the restrictions of social customs. Yeah, the rules of society are yeah. sort of overlaid on this play yes. from the moment it begins. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, Charlie's Charlie's aunt's presence in the room mm-hmm. means so much to us. Mm-hmm. So there's just so many, so many layers. Of this urgent desire to, which I think is kind of why I, we, this desire I think manifests itself differently in us because for me it's an emotional thing. Like I'm just, you know, gonna kiss her face all the time and talk about, you know, just gush about how much I love her. Whereas, you know, Kitty, her desire I think is a bit more intellectual. Yeah, it's trying to have her have camaraderie with her for her to help us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's she she'll she'll understand what it's like with this will situation and she'll be willing to help us out. Yeah. I mean, we're really going out on a limb asking for her help to get yeah. the letter that Spedigu has to sign. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 I feel like I I'm trusting her to understand our situation. So yeah. you talk I mean as you're talking about this, what's interesting is how specific then the choices that you make are in your interactions with 
Charlie's on with each other um, of how you're playing these moments of these scenes. And it harkens back to um, something that David Ivers talked about when he, when he was interviewed in this podcast about the mathematics or the, the science of creating comedy. I'm just wondering how that all developed in rehearsal. Well, we had a room where we were allowed to try a lot of different things and even oh, give yeah. each other suggestions on what might work. And that's always like the best environment to build a comedy oh, yeah. where everyone is free to be completely weird. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, that emphasis was there. Like, uh, you know, what David would say is, you know, we're still telling the story, though. The plot is still important. And this optimism, like Kelly mentioned, is so very, very important. We can never get down about anything. It always has to be a positive solution mm -hmm. and um when you have that vibe in the room it's easy to have a really good time mm -hmm. and um but then you know those last couple days of rehearsal we really needed to set some stuff and really needed to rehearse it over and over and over again just to get timing yeah. and not be sloppy and it's true like you know sometimes we break on stage <laughs> And sometimes it's in places when we really shouldn't break. <laughs> and it kind of ruins a moment. You know, when we get a little sloppy, it can ruin, you know, I'm struggling with one moment in the play right now where I... So, tell but us, tell us about that moment. <laughs> it's hard to look at Brendan. It's really hard to look at Brendan sometimes on stage. He plays Jack. Uh -huh. And he's just adorable. <laughs> and he just makes me laugh. And so... Moment when Spedigu knocks on the door, I just can't make eye contact with him because if I do, I laugh and I shouldn't be laughing in that moment. I should be scared out of my mind. Yeah, there's some weird things that break me. You know, some because once you break once, then everything just... kind of goes mad. And there was, I think it was the, maybe the day where the, the chair broke mm. in the dinner scene. Yeah, um, John Preston, who plays Sir Francis went to sit down in the chair and the chair like broke off and it was madness ensued trying to find another chair and something happened where later in the scene I was looking at Michael Doherty who plays Donna Lucia and I was looking at his eyelashes and something about his eyelashes broke me again and so I'm just laughing at his eyelashes yeah. like there's nothing funny about this right now but um yeah, but you got But then you have to be like, no, no, no. no, no Every okay, the story matters. What do I need right now? I need, I need Stephen Spedicu to not spank me. I need him to like <laughs> forgive me for doing this thing or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that is um, that that yeah. moment though that day when the chair broke um, <laughs> was actually one of my favorite moments in my life <laughs> so on the, the theater because it was this moment when and wacky things have happened on stage before, mm -hmm. but you know there's this whole audience so it's like 500 people in the room. We are all in a moment like, what's going to happen next? Like, the audience and the actors are all on the same page. The stage manager, Tanya in the booth, yeah. being like, there's what's going to happen? <laughs> where there's this collective consciousness. It's so, it was so palpable and wonderful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was it, it was obviously, even, ob even obvious to the audience that it wasn't supposed to happen. Yes. Yeah. 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 And somehow, like, the leg got set on the table and... <laughs> You know, Brasset, I turn around and there's chairs upside down. Brasset's taking some chair outside. And, you know, Tussum's Charlie's just running around. Like, piano stool, here's a chair. Just, you know. Yeah. Mayhem. There's something Mayhem. about the, like, the terror of those moments, but also the kind of collective, well, you say collective consciousness, that, like, coming together to solve now this thing that has suddenly become 
all too real for it us. It is a puzzle of joy. It's yeah. joy. <laughs> and it's only, I really think it only happens in live theater. Oh, for sure. I mean, it definitely ha- doesn't happen in a, film, in a film. Maybe it would happen at a concert or something. Yeah. But, like, it was so real and so lovely mm-hmm. for us all to be, <gasps> for a second, together and, and just be on the same team. That's cool. In watching the show, it, it often feels like there's, you know, everyone gets on this hamster wheel and, <laughs> and you just sort of run until yeah. you can't run anymore yeah. or until you have to jump off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it would seem to me like doing this show demands a different kind of energy than doing Amadeus or doing King Lear. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. how, do you, how do you sort of steal yourself for that? Before, before that first moment on stage. Well, I actually think Amadeus requires more energy for me than this show. I probably have more stage time in this show, but the emotional life of Amadeus is so rich and alive that it's exhausting. And, um, and it's just hard on my heart. So when I come to Charlie's Aunt, I'm so happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like a high for me because I'm like, oh, I get to be with my friends. We get to yeah. laugh a little. I get to like, you know, fall in love. And it's just, it's, it's really fun. So it's, it is energizing to do that show. Uh-huh. We're lucky to have this balance mm-hmm. of two, using two completely different muscles. And I think that they strengthen each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every single time I do King Lear, I have done Charlie's Aunt that afternoon. And uh-huh. so I find that my performance in King Lear has kind of loosened up because I've already been, you know, hamstering earlier in the afternoon. I think that the energy is different for me because of who Amy is becoming and growing to be. There's just so, I think I'm, she's so lifted. She is, she's not grounded at all. And I think she's just floating way above me. And I'm just constantly trying to you know, lob these balls up in the air. And I'm, I'm juggling a lot of different balls, I think, as Amy. And whereas with Cordelia, I feel like I can just stand and be much more grounded. So, but then again, yeah, the emotional depth of Lear is is difficult to grapple with in its own way. But And the costumes, actually, <clears throat> I think it's really hard to... Um, the necks, the necks of our costumes are very tight. And for me, I feel like there's kind of this energy locked in this neck of my costume <laughs> where I'm, you know, just trying to get out of that. I don't know. It's, uh, they're beautiful costumes. Not meant to be, you know, <laughs> not meant to like, help project a voice. What are some of your favorite moments in this show? Oh, favorite moments. <laughs> I love when we just first meet Donna Lucy, the Fanny Babs Donna Lucia. When oh, we first yeah. meet her, it's adorable, and we're just all enamored with each other, and it's just yes. really cute. I love that moment. Um, yeah, I like the when she receives the flowers and yeah, does what she does with the flowers. Um, I th- I really love that because that's once we're on that is the moment when we're on the ride and we can't get off. Oh yeah. Because now we're in the room and we're meeting Fanny Babs as Donna Lucia and they've got to run with it and it's just so exciting to start from there for us. Um, for me, I find my logic for a lot of 
what I see our, you know, the Fanny Babs Donna Lucia doing is just, oh, that's what they do in Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoa. You know, everything is so exotic. <laughs> yeah. Her, her actions. Um, but other great moments, though. Okay, oh, I've got one. So John Preston is, he's, he's just a very elastic man, but he will have these, in Act 3, there's a lot of these tiny little snippets of scenes where you know, go downstairs, say your thing, turn up stage, and, you know, shifting focus. And there's this, I have to stop watching him do this because I'm supposed to be upset. I've just yelled at Charlie. I'm never going to forgive anyone for doing these things. And uh, <laughs> standing up stage, and John, like, says some line to Jack saying, no, look out, my boy, look out. And then turns up stage and just always, every single time, either says, like, goodbye, or just, like, has some sort of, like... <laughs> facial seizure and I don't know why he does it it's not for the audience it's not for anyone he's just doing it and I always break and I'm like no I have to be upset right now but yeah I like watching that I think I think it's yeah I think that our favorite moments are ones that we get to observe others too um, oh, like sure. when I'm in the vom waiting to go up before the proposal scene um, I watch the Christine and and Christine Guetta, who plays um, the real Donna Lucia, and um, John Preston, who plays Sir Francis Chesney, when they are reunited on stage, their mm -hmm. scene is fabulous. And oh, the chemistry yeah. between them is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I love watching them. And yeah. it's funny, too, but it's also this very real, sincere moment that's, that has possibility for these people who aren't young lovers the way that we are. It's just, mm -hmm. it's lovely. I still sometimes go up back into the lobby into the cry room and watch the proposal scene between Sir Francis and Fanny Babs Donna Lucia <laughs> because the lots of proposals in this film. lots yeah. of proposals yeah but I think that's my favorite scene in the play yeah where the just this intense struggle that Sir Francis has <laughs> I need to propose to this woman but I just can't <laughs> but he does and <laughs> And that struggle is delicious, truly delicious. When he's trying to put his hand on <laughs> Fanny's head, and Babs just loves it. He's just yeah. eating it up. Yeah, he's <laughs> the whiz, that kid. So for anyone who hasn't seen this show and is thinking about whether to see it and who isn't already convinced after listening to everything you've said, what would, what would be your pitch for people to come see this play? Bring stitches so you can sew yourself up after splitting your <laughs> sides from laughter. <laughs> um. I was really not sure where you were going with that at first. Bring stitches. <laughs> I think it's a it's a play that will make you feel hopeful and happy when you see it. Um, it's it'll it'll give you a great afternoon or a great evening. You'll laugh as you get in your car and go home. It's a feel, it's a really feel good play. Um, and sometimes you really need to see something like that. And good for families too. Great for families. Oh, yeah. The kids, when we see the kids in the audience and they, you know, I, I think people don't give kids enough credit because they think they don't have an attention span, but when they're watching live theater, mm. they're fascinating. They just sit there with their mouths open oh, yeah. and they like laugh at something and then they look at their mom to make sure it's okay that they're laughing at that. Mm -hmm. And it's this like interactive experience for a family and it's, it's wonderful. 
especially the physicality. I think there's a lot of physical humor in this play mm -hmm. that that's so thrilling to watch. The mm -hmm. energy required of these people on stage. I mean, Michael Doherty gets screaming ovations every night because mm -hmm. he works so hard. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's a gift. You know, was it David talked about in rehearsal that comedy is you like ripped your heart out and you say, here, here you go. Yeah. Here, here it is. And I mean, there is so much heart happening. thrusting mm -hmm. in this play. And yeah, it's delightful. I love doing it. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Thank you both. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Come see us. <laughs> yes, again and again. <laughs> you got a lot of time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2015 season.